good solution being able to see my note <laughs> fucker that thing is aggressive <laughs> wants to be where you are oh goodness you set you up a desk over there or something you can just hire someone to hold it at precisely the right see again production assistant that's why we need to start the help wanted must work for gummy bears. <laughs> I'd be willing to give them tea. Hot tea. I'm just, I'm not coming up off of my Capri Suns. I'm just saying. Bring your own tea bags. I ration those. Hot water Gotta will be Gotta hide them from the kids. <laughs> Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. Welcome back. We are here in episode 83. We are talking about the hordes of radiance. By Mr. Brandon Sanderson, where we will be covering chapters interlude 5 through 38. So this is the first part of part 3. That's right, and on our next book club, we'll be covering chapters 39 through 43. That is correct. You know, Chad asked the other day what chapters we were reading next, and I wouldn't tell him. No, I don't know. I don't know. Now you do. I guess I do now. So our spoiler policy is that Liz has read all these books and, in fact, has read pretty much everything in the Cosmere. I have read none of these books, so we will not spoil anything through, or past, rather, chapter 39 of Words of Radiance. So what did you think of this section? So it was not the most exciting section. Right. Because it's, you know, sort of the set up of a new part after all the excitement that ended uh, part two back in episode 82. Uh, but, you know, interesting stuff happens. We have some some cool developments and we have our our two main point of view characters arriving at the same place and meeting. So some in, in you know, some interesting things happening. Uh, overall, it was kind of a matter-of-fact section, so not like a ton of chewy, chewy stuff to dig into, but it wasn't bad. Well, let's jump right into it. Interlude 5 is called The Rider of Storms. Eshonai is preparing to attempt to take on storm form. The meeting with Dalinar is set for seven days from now, and she's eagerly anticipating it. But first, she heads out into the storm with nothing but a shield, a spren, and some big dick energy. When the moment of transformation is at hand, Eshonai is shocked to have the Stormfather speak to her. He asks if this is what she wants, but does not wait for her reply before beginning the transformation. As the angry red spren attacks her, Eshonai realizes something is terribly wrong. It's a mess, yo. So, how badass is it that Eshonai just, like, that these people just hike out into the storm with a shield. That's kind of a regular thing that they do. Yeah. I mean, it's not, they're not blasé about it. Right. But still they do it. It just highlights to me that this race, the listeners, evolved to fit this world. We see so many of the life forms here that have adapted to be able to survive these high storms. Yeah, like the Alethi chicken. Not the Shinovar chicken. Ah. Sorry. Nor the Alethi. But the Chulls, the Songlings, all of the life forms that have evolved in order to be able to survive these terrible weather patterns, and the listeners are one of them. The listeners look at Stormfather as though he's a traitorous spren, and they call him the Rider. Yes. There are so many Jim Morrison jokes in here. So many. I can't think of any of them right now. I mean, but somebody could. Listeners, chime in. 
Any good Jim Morrison jokes? I mean, the... Lay them on us. <laughs> the listener's songs are almost as long as a Ray Manzarek organ solo. <laughs> so the Stormfather hasn't spoken to any of the listeners outside of legend. So that right there tells you that what Shonai is attempting to do is something that is history changing. We kind of knew that already. There's plenty of foreshadowing here that this is not going to be a minor occurrence. No. We have these angry red lightning spren. Finally, one of the listeners is going to channel them. And it, the spren itself is an anger spren. It's pissed. It is angry. It's peeved. Man. So mad. Someone cut that spren off in traffic. Mm. I, that sprint asked for a bike for its seventh birthday, and it got a little miniature bike. Oh, damn. For a G.I. Joe. You know, that sprint just sat through the pickup line at an elementary school. Oh. It's <sighs> angry. And what the Stormfather says to Eshonai is that he's sorry that this has to happen, but basically that he feels it's inevitable. And I thought that was interesting because he's very tender towards her. He calls her little one. He says, I would spare you from this if I could. But basically, hody hum, the world is ending. Nothing I can do about it. You're on Guess your I'll own, go kid. eat worms. See you later. <laughs> and I thought it was interesting, too, what we learn about the transformation of the listeners. We learn that it happens at one specific point in the high storm it's not just at any point so the listeners need to go out and kind of wait through the high storm to find out when that magical moment is going to happen anything else jump out at you in this interlude so there are two other things that i thought the first is anger spren has got to be one of the spren from odium because there are you know there are spren that are from the cognitive realm there are spren from uh, creation, there are spren from honor, and then there are spren from odium. And anger spren are obviously from odium. The other thing I thought was when the spren hit her in the chest, she said the rhythms fled her mind. Now, I don't know what that means, but I figure it's relevant to something. I was also expecting to see the next time that we talked, or I was looking rather, to see if the next time we saw her she would have lost all touch with her people's music. But that's not the case. Correct. So I'm filing that away. No, that's a good catch, though. So interlude six is called Zahel. What's Zahel, man? What's... <laughs> I can't believe I didn't see that coming. <sighs> all right. So Zahel awakens suddenly with the knowledge that someone is approaching his room. That someone is Kaladin. Shaken from the recent attack on the king, Kaladin asks Zahel to teach him how to fight a shard blade. Zahel is pissed about being woken up, but I think we all know that there's an 80s-style training montage in Kaladin's future. <laughs> As Zahel drifts grumpily off to sleep, he expects a voice to speak to him in his mind. Of course, there wasn't one. Hadn't been one in years. Zahel hears a voice. Yes. In the past, his sleeping mind. So what does that mean? What do you think it means? I don't know. You don't know? No. All right. No, I went back and I tried to look for references of people hearing voices in their mind. Shallan does hear a voice in her mind, but it's, from what I can tell anyway, it's just more like her talking to herself. Yes. Well, let's talk about Zahel, because I kind of went back through the chapters where he is mentioned mm -hmm. and compiled sort of a a list. Five things we know about Zahel. I, I don't know if there's five. There's but... a BuzzFeed article. So Zahel's got a couple of interesting traits. First of all, Brandon Sanderson always describes him his physical characteristics in some way, which he doesn't with a lot of his characters. But I think he wants you to kind of remember what he looks like or how he's described. So again, loose tan clothing that's bound up with ropes and a short scruffy beard and eyes that are ancient. Oh, shit. 
I just figured out who he is. You did. Who do you think he is? He appears in another book. Yes. I was really hoping you would figure it out. Because then I was going to have to really obnoxiously nudge you. Oh, snap. Well, I'm not going to say it here. No, okay. (laughs) I'll say it in predictions. Okay. You have to wait to the end, listeners. That's right. You got to wait, yo. So also, Zahel is far, far too old for this. What the hell? What the hell? In chapter 18, he's described as the ardent with ancient eyes. In chapter 16, Kaladin notes that he could be 35 or 70 or older. Mm. He also uses strange idioms and complains about the native language. So one idiom he's used was, don't be green from the ground. And when Kaladin didn't know what he was talking about, he said, oh, you're stupid language. And once again, in chapter 18, he says that something makes him eat the wrong flower. No one knows what that means. And again, he says, you people, you don't have any good idioms. And he can sense sill. I did not pick up on that. And it's also interesting that Zahel thinks about the damn monks as though he wasn't one of them. So he's in his room and he's like, these damn monks only get one blanket. I'm cold. These damn monks this and that. As though he wasn't one of them, even though he's... Even though we're inside his head. We're inside his and head. And he's supposed to be. He, and he's supposed to be. So those are the hints about Zahel. Mm. What Zahel? Interesting. You're so smart. Well, when you kind of spelled it out for me. I did. I didn't mean to. I really tried not to. Hey, I just laid out the facts. That's all you did. I'll try to do better. Okay, I'll be more subtle. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Interlude 7 is called Taln. Taln has been taken to the Shattered Plains. In a chilling exchange, we witness his broken mind trying to communicate, but Dalinar and Elokar don't understand him. Their main concern is his shard blade, which Taln dropped back in Kolinar and strangely did not vanish. Taln repeats his dire warnings about the coming desolation, but it seems that he may have come too late. You're too late, Tom. So I too love, late, man. I love the writing in this interlude. We have this switch between Taln's two perspectives. Like he's reciting these instructions that he must have given a thousand times, but at the same time, part of his mind is still like wrapped in this torture. So he's like, ah, the flames. And then he's, you know, back to what he's trying to say. You've got like these dire warnings that he's saying, but at the same time, we are overhearing the dialogue between Dalinar and Elokar, and they're just basically like, blah, blah, blah. What's he saying? He's obviously a madman. And all the while, he's saying things like, this is what we have to do to prepare. Like something really bad is coming. And so it's it's just eerie. And it's I, I just cool. It's a cool bit of storytelling. Tom, the tortured one, Harold and Doom's Harbinger. Also, he's crazy. Apparently, yes. I mean, don't judge. I think we all would be. I thought it was interesting that he's speaking in a version of a Lethe that it's so old that even though it's a Lethe, they can't really understand him. Yeah, that's a good point. I think also, too, he's just kind of mumbling, so he's harder to understand. So we do learn some interesting things from his monologue. We do. I just noted down a couple of things about the other heralds. Because basically he goes on and says, you know, I'm the herald of war. This is the time of the return. This is what we have to do. But he so he says that Kalak will teach you to cast bronze. Kalak is the first herald that we ever met mm-hmm. on the battlefield in the Way of Kings. He talks about how they're what they're going to do, how they're going to soul cast blocks of metal so they'll have tools and how um, and he says your stone tools will not serve against what is to come. He talks about Vedel, who will train their surgeons, Jezrian, who will teach them leadership and how he is going to teach them soldiers. You know, it's interesting because the only thing I really thought about through that whole thing was. Man, you ain't looking around like he's not. He's <laughs> obviously like completely divorced from reality yeah. and what's actually happening. We don't we have steel or some other types of metal. We don't have stone tools. We have surgeons. 
But what's interesting is it sounds as though every other desolation when it came around, that's where humanity was, still using stone tools. So something is different this time. Yeah, clearly. He also says, Ishar keeps talking about a way to keep information from being lost between desolations. And you have discovered something unexpected, surge binders to act as guardians. So once again, we have it reinforced that the Knights Radiant were not something that the Heralds did. They're something that the Heralds adopted, but that they came from the Spren and the humans working together on their own. Mm-hmm. Even then, though Voronism asserts that the Radiants were given to us by the Heralds. I'm not sure of that. That might okay. That, right. Well, it might that might be true. That could just be in my head. Could be. And at the end, the last line, um, Tal just says, "I think I am late this time." I think you are, buddy. You show you showed up bit. too late. They already had metal tools. What are you going to do now? It's the guy who shows up at the end of the party after the cops have busted everything with a case of beer. I'm here, guys! (laughs) Interlude 8 is called A Form of Power. Ashonai returns to Narak, changed in ways that nobody expected. Most alarmingly, her eyes are red, which in the listener's songs means nothing good. Ashonai no longer seems to want peace with the Alephi. She tells Venley that she can sense a new storm brewing that the listeners will be able to use to sweep their enemies from the land entirely. And all the while, there's a voice deep down in her mind that is screaming in horror. So, yikes. Not cool, bro. So, this new form, we learn a couple of things about it. The armor is more delicate. It can control the wind. Comes with a bitch and weave. And <laughs> red lightning comes from your fists. Yeah, yeah. I mean. And you can jump for basically forever. Where's the bad at this point? Well, other than, you know, your own true personality being stuffed down inside and this warmongering spren taking control, I don't really see any drawbacks. I mean, but did I mention the bitch and weave? You, you mentioned it. You mentioned it. I'm just saying, I wish I could grow hair strands, you know, at the drop of a hat like that. <laughs> But what's interesting is the way that it changes Eshonai's mind. And we know that it's not unheard of for parts of the mind and personality of the listeners to change with forms. We know that mate forms are, you know, really horny and the dull forms are like they it's hard for them to think at all. The nimble forms are obviously smarter. But this form brings with it a feeling of focus and clarity and a bit of a temper. Yeah, a single-mindedness. Some would call it megalomania. Some would. So Eshenai's friend Thud, who we've heard mentioned a couple of times, he seems to sort of be her right-hand man. He's pretty concerned when she shows up with red eyes. I mean, at this point, they're in a real crap situation because they don't want this to happen because it makes them... Slaves of Odium. Mm -hmm. The same point in time, they, I mean, they're about to get overrun by the humans eventually. And that's pretty much where most of the listeners seem to be. You know, they're taken aback by her and Thude is the only one to say something to her about her appearance, but she's pretty easily able to win them over with the idea of wiping the Alethi off the map. And she says there's something out there in the storm of power. We could bring it. We can bend the storms to our will and bring them down upon our enemies. The Utah Jazz. Some smiting going on. I don't like the Utah Jazz. The worst team in the West. They deserve to be smitten from the skies. Nobody goes to Utah to listen to jazz. It's absurd. You can't even find it in Provo. Smiling my tolerant smile. <laughs> just let it just let it pass. Like a high storm, just ignore it. It'll go away. <laughs> Chapter 35 is called The Multiplied Strain of Simultaneous Infusion. How about that? Yeah, that's like a late 80s prog rock band. So... 
Adolin has been shaken up after the fight with Seth. He ups his shard blade training and asks the Ardents for information regarding the abilities of the Knight's Radiant. He visits Navani, who is working on the creation of a fabriole that can make platforms float. They head to a meeting at the palace with Adolin unsuccessfully trying to convince Navani to stop seducing his dad already. So this chapter is a little bit of a just a transition mm-hmm. and shows us some of the cool things that they can do with Fabrials. It also shows us that Adolin is like Link from the first Legend of Zelda. And if he has all of his hearts, he can throw his sword. That's exactly what he's <laughs> like. Sorry. You have to stop me. I'm pretty far away. I'll throw things if I have to. So we also see here, again, highlighted Adolin's special mastery of his blade. And that he's... (laughs) God damn it, Jad. (laughs) Now I'm throwing things. (laughs) You and Adolin. He's way too young for me. Adolin's love sword. In his hand. <laughs> Penis of power. Is that seven words? <laughs> so we also get to see a glimpse of some soul casters. Some soul casting ardents, right? We do, yeah. And Apparently. it makes me wonder, how the hell did anyone ever think that Yasna was actually using a soul caster? Well, that was actually my first point here. It says, prolonged use of a soul caster changed people's appearance. How come I'm 400 pages into the second book before you tell me that? So I I think the only explanation lies in the secrecy around the soul casters, how they had to put up those tents everywhere they went. I don't know if you caught that. No, I definitely caught that for sure. In fact, I actually thought it was hiding something else. Like I thought it was, you know, it was for other purposes. But again, how did anybody think Yasna was soul casting? And how come we ran across other Ardents in Yeah, the other Ardents didn't realize. I mean, she's obviously walking around not turning into stone. Well, also... Soul casting her ass off. We saw other Ardents in... How is it? Carbarant? Carbarant. Yeah, Yeah, that's what I mean. Who were soul casting, who didn't... Nobody said anything about their appearance looking this way. Were there Ardents actively soul casting in Carbranth? I felt like, like there were. Like on screen? Uh, I feel yeah. like they were talked about. It was so, talked about that they were there. Still strange. It is strange that nobody questioned. However, we don't know what prolonged use means. It could True. be 10 years, 20 years. It's hard to say. The spice, it gets into your mind, changes you. Anytime we can drop a Dune reference, right? There's definitely there's a Dune Roshar crossover. Huge somewhere. Huge Dune Roshar crossover. So Navani is making this flying platform, right? Yeah, flying archery platform. So pretty cool. She also has what is my favorite quote of this section. You want to hear it? Yeah. She says, well, she was thinking about how she enjoys being in war camps because everything's laid out in just a nice tidy pattern, you know? And she says, you know, that was the mark of humankind to take the wild unorganized world and make something logical of it. You could get so much more done when everything was in its place. Mm. That just gives me a chill. (laughs) Navani's my spirit animal. Not really. Really, it's Deborah Joe from the Australian Children's So Little Lunch. <laughs> but hey, Little Navani Lunch is awesome. Is a close and is Deborah Joe not my spirit animal? Deborah Joe is your spirit animal. It's absolutely true, one hundred percent. But Navani is a close second. What one thing I think is interesting in this chapter is 
a passing comment that Navani makes about storm wardens. Not a comment, but something she thinks to herself. And she thinks about how she doesn't trust them because they come so close to doing something that might be construed as predicting the future. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's interesting that even this extremely educated, well-grounded, not superstitious person still is holding on to that, that taboo, that fear of predicting the future. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that we know too, that honor who they call the almighty wasn't even that good at predicting the future. And that of the kind of deities we've heard mentioned, it's been mentioned that predicting the future is something of them, but that they're not all equally as good at it. It, it does bring to mind that there does seem to be, and you mentioned it a little bit earlier, a little bit of a turning of the wheel mm-hmm. sort of vibe going on. The idea that these things happen over and over again, you know, the desolations, but also, you know, the heralds coming back and all that. So there, there does sort of seem to be a little bit of a wheel of time vibe going on there. Yeah, that's a good point. But the ardents here, not nearly as annoying as uh, the bitches from Carvalho. Oh my God. Insufferable. I'm sorry, I'm calling it. They're terribly written. I don't know that there's many that would argue with you. Well, if they did, they would fold their arms beneath their breasts. <laughs> and sniff. And sniff. <laughs> it always did really bother me. Like, how, like, I assume that he means, okay, it's total sidebar, okay? But the <laughs> sniffing has been bothering me for decades, okay? I assume that he means, like, an annoyance, like, <laughs> right? But sniff is like, <laughs> so yeah. are they, like, snorting? I and mean, like huffing, yeah. how does, anyway. Another thing that I found interesting in this chapter, back to Words of Radiance, <laughs> Did you notice the report that Navani's assistant, Lady Rushu, was trying to get her to read? Yes, she was reading a report from the two Ardents up on the Reshi Isles. Jaranid. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Glad you caught that. That was pretty cool. I did. I sort of said, oh, that's cool. I wonder if that's going to have anything to do with anything. It just... <laughs> Maybe in 1,800 pages it will. <laughs> just seems... <laughs> and we'll be like, oh, hey. Oh, those two. That one again. I also thought it was interesting, Navani's like worry slash denial over Yasna. So at this point, it's been reported that her ship had gone down, I believe, with all hands. Mm -hmm. And she's just like, yeah, whatever. Well, I think she said she'd been through that before. Well, I think she'd said that Yasna had disappeared before. Oh, okay. All right. I was like, well, that's an awfully specific thing. To happen twice to a person. Right. There's a guy I know at work, not at my office, but we run across him all the time, survived a plane crash. Wow. I know. Crazy, right? Terrifying. That makes me clench everywhere. It's pretty crazy. Also, Navani and Adolin on the screen at the same time, two of the most boring people ever. I've run out of things to throw at you. <laughs> they're two of my favorites. Oh, they're the worst. She's wearing a glove, Chad. Actually, Nav- I don't mind Navani. But the combination. Just wait. Adolin will grow on you, too. He'll grow like moss. Like carbuncles. So chapter 36 is called A New Woman. Shalon wakes up a new woman. She's got a bag of human bones and she's not taking any crap from anyone. She finally enters Dalinar's war camp and has to confront Kaladin before being able to enter the king's audience chamber. So this is the the final approach to the war camps. Yeah, this is the most interesting chapter of the section, in my opinion. Yeah. Bag of bones. Bag of bones. So metal. It's real metal. So in case you missed that, in the beginning of the chapter, Vatha comes and says, hey, you know, we burned, 
We burned the bodies because obviously Shalon killed Tin. They had to kill her men. He says, but you know, they're, they're patrolling a lot around here. If someone comes across a bunch of bones, they're going to remember we were here. They're going to ask questions. She goes, just go put them in a bag. bag. Go get a bag. Get, get a bag. I'll take care of it. Put all the bones in the bag. Bring me the bones. You were never here. <laughs> These are not the droids you're looking for. <laughs> We also find out that Pattern doubles as a lockpick. That's pretty cool. Hell yeah. Yeah, he seems to have more physical ability to manipulate things in the environment than Syl does. So More strength. You know, I don't know if that's true, but he certainly seems to be better able to do it in a focused or intelligent way. You know, Syl was able to carry... A handful of leaves quite a distance that's true that's a good point and yeah. that did exhaust her pattern what pattern is doing in picking a lock is not terribly physically tiring i would imagine but he's got to be able to see you know i don't know have you seen a 13 year old try to actually turn a lock with a key with a key i'm just i'm not <sighs> i'm not worried about her being a cat burglar <laughs> How are people supposed to open doors with their hands? That's crazy. No one has that kind of strength. Well, and Pattern is turning out to be quite the useful spren because not yeah. only is he a lockpick, he can also follow people almost invisibly and then come back and report their conversation, imitating their voices perfectly. Dude, if I had a pattern in a D&D game, I'd rule the world. That would be, we need to make that happen. Who wants to play D&D with us, really? We're lonely. Let's make it happen. Um, I also thought it was cool that, you know, this is all in the first interaction of the chapter, but Pattern tells them that he tells, Pattern tells Shalon that he's been listening to the traders and that they were all standing around wondering whether Shalon would come for them. And I just, I think Shalon's arc is so interesting because it's not one of a weak character becoming powerful or gaining a magic weapon, but it's a strong character finally accepting her strength and owning it, you know, because all of the traits and weapons that are kind of making her a badass right now, she's had from the beginning, but she was in denial about them. She just had to stop denying who she was and accept that part of her. Well, she didn't really know. She needed somebody to kind of show her how to do it, too. But I, I definitely note that when we begin with Shalon, we see her walking into Carboranth so green, mm -hmm. so naive. And now we get to see her walking into the Shattered Plains completely in control. Mm -hmm. Very, very different person. The, the other thing I noted is, why does Tin have a picture of Bluth? Why does she have the picture that of Bluth that Shalon drew. I, I think Shalon kept that. No, Tin had it in her chest that Pattern unlocked. So I'm not sure that that's true. She got a new satchel from Tin's things, but I think she put her own stuff in it. Mm, okay. Does that make sense? That could be, okay. Either way, she's been carrying around this drawing and it helps her kind of reach a turning point where she realizes that the picture of Bluth is both a lie and a truth. And she decides that, so she draws a picture of herself as she wants to be, as she would have been if she had not been raised in a household of fear. And she reflects that it's not a lie, but a different truth. Good stuff. And I just really like Shalon's chapters because it really digs into the power of perspective and self-perception and how transformative that can be to change your perception of yourself. Shalon is the most interesting character in this series, without a doubt. I, I mean, I agree. For After all... Adolin. Whoa. <laughs> I'm looking around for things to throw. <laughs> All I have are heavy, is heavy, expensive equipment. <laughs> and Adolin is just not worth all that. <laughs> so let's get down to what's really interesting about this chapter. Okay. Which is when Shalon and Kaladin meet. 
Yes. One more thing that I thought was interesting leading up to that, though, is that as Shalon is, so she's going up to the palace and she's thinking about her objectives. So we're reminded that all of this is not just about Shalon finding a safe place or getting out of her situation. She's really determined that she's going to find Eurythiru. She's going to like somehow convince the Alethi to give up their parchment. She's going to do this. Yeah, she is. Girl's committed to the cause. What I think is interesting is that there's never a point where she thinks, oh, I'm going to tell Dalinar and Navani who who killed Yasna. No, yeah. Like, she doesn't even occur to her that she's going to turn in the ghost bloods. She goes right to, I'm going to infiltrate and manipulate them somehow. So that, that was pretty interesting. So anyway, yeah, the uh, the confrontation with Kaladin, what did you think of that? Funny or annoying? No, I thought it was pretty funny. I thought it was pretty funny, too. And I think we had some listeners, and I certainly did when I first read this, was hope, worry that this was going to turn into Shalon, like, never meets the other characters, or they just keep missing each other. That doesn't happen. Um, she manages to get up into the palace, and Kaladin says, Prince Adolin is engaged to a horn eater. <laughs> Well, there were other people who suggested that there would be a Shallan, Adolin, Kaladin love triangle, and not to rule that potentially happening in the future, but here upon initial meeting, it sure doesn't look that way. He does call her mama a sponge. You don't have to bring people's mamas into this. (laughs) She said, your mama's so fat. She tripped over the unclaimed hills. When she landed, she caused the shattered plains. (laughs) Said, your mama's so ugly. This is Kaladin speaking to Shallan. Your mama's so ugly, even after she died, they had to keep her soul in a metal box to avoid scaring the palace ghosts. (laughs) Shallan says, oh, yeah. They thought it was a mountain range protecting Shinovar. Turned out it was your mama. <laughs> he said, your mama's so big, if you walk with a rhythm, she comes up from the deep deserts. Wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait, that's, the wrong, that's the wrong book. He said, your mama's so stupid, Spren can't see her. Your mama's so big, she took a dive in the ocean, and the Reshi Isles caused a flood. <laughs> I need a minute. Oh, there, oh there's one more. <laughs> Lay it on me. Your mama's so fat, your daddy used a bridge crew to get him a piece. <laughs> that last one, by the way, a haiku. <laughs> Bravo. Slow clap. That was brilliant. <laughs> thank you, thank you. But Shallan does eventually get her way past the brooding captain of the guard she and says, heads into the chamber. She says, I'm here to see the king. The guard says, and you are? And she's like, Christ, doesn't anyone care that I'm an Amazon Prime member? <laughs> Young Shallan arrives. I'm here to see Dalinar, but Adolin first. I've been speaking in haikus this whole episode. Chapter 37 is called A Matter of Perspective. Adolin is having a tough time at this board meeting. Everyone is shook up over the assassin in white and nobody wants to duel with him. Sadius taunts him and Amram won't listen to reason. Things pretty much couldn't get worse, but then a hot chick walks in. It's Shallan, and Adolin is smitten. So first off, can we talk about Adolin throwing shade at Relis's outfit? <laughs> like internal monologue shade. He's like walking around thinking about this guy. He's just like, why is he even wearing that green shirt? He chose that color of all the colors to choose. And I'm like, girl, I know. <laughs> it was interesting so we so we had 
what happens with Adolin is he runs into Sadius. Sadius does his Sadius thing. Amaram rescues him, and in the middle of maybe learning something interesting about Amaram, Aelin says, pretty girl. And, pretty much. And there you go. He's off. He's gone. Amaram's like, I was about to get to something. I'm... Never mind. <laughs> yeah, Amaram tells him that he and Sadius agree that the means they choose to reach an honorable goal are allowed to be dishonorable. Hint, hint, he's a bad guy. You think? So I think it's interesting, the the use of kind of, I don't know if it's a curse word or sort of exclamations, the, the kind of slang or lingo, and the way that certain phrases are unveiled. And one that characters have been saying in the last few chapters is, Ash's eyes. And we've just been talking about Shellash, who I'm assuming that they are referring to. Mm-hmm. So it's just interesting that, you know, Shalash, the Herald of Beauty, has been brought up several times. And in the last few chapters, we've had characters using this exclamation, Ash's eyes. So it's just kind of cool. It's it's a very deliberate crafting. All right. Drop in hints. That's all I have for chapter 37. Yeah, me too. Chapter 38 is called The Silent Storm. Shallan is finally introduced to the Colleens, and she breaks the news of Yasna's death to them. She sits in on the rest of the council and manipulates High Lord Sabariel into offering her a paid position in his household. So at this point, I think that news of Yasna's ship being lost with all hands has already the family has already heard of this. Shalan is just kind of confirming it. So for all of them, but Navani, who was in denial, have kind of knew that that was what happened. But for Navani to have it confirmed, she kind of loses it, as you would. So my only, I mean, I have a couple of things in this chapter. First, I wrote, stumbling teenage love. Hey, who's that girl in the room? Shalan plays with fire. We have that whole scene with people kind of getting back into the meeting and somebody being like, hey, who's that random girl? Which seems strange to me, but I guess it wouldn't be that strange in that setting. There's probably not that many new people floating in and out. Right. That would be in that in that room. And Shalon kind of stands out. She does stand out for sure. And I really liked the way... She dealt with that situation, also the way she dealt with Dalinar, in a couple different ways. Yes. I think the way that she dealt with Dalinar in terms of being just forthright and transparent was pretty remarkable. She's learning to quickly read people and match them. Also, the way that she was able to maneuver not being sucked into Dalinar's household. Yes, exactly. Interesting, though, that she can recognize that Tin was a terrible person, had to kill her, obviously, but also be able to still take value from what she says. Right, and I think she outwardly even says that in a previous chapter. I had to kill her, but that was pretty good advice that she gave me. Yeah. Well, your advice was well rewarded with death. So, yeah, she pretty definitely is able to maneuver for someone who is brand new to the Shattered Plains and and has really only read about any of these people in books until it comes to Adolin. And then he comes over and she she goes all swoony teenage girl. Oh, yeah. And And Adolin actually, okay, I'll give you this. This Adolin's a bit of a douche canoe here. He goes, hey, so... um, I mean, I know we were supposed to be engaged, but maybe we could just go for a walk, see how things feel. Ladies, I like walking. Ladies, mm-mm. if he just wants to go for a walk and see how things feel, he ain't India. <laughs> Lock it down before you go on that walk, ladies. If you like it. Just saying. Better put a ring on it. Is what Shalon should have said. It'd be like 
So what did you think of her choosing Sabario? So I thought she did the best she could in the situation, given that she was able to find somebody who does not, if, if I read this correctly, she was able to find somebody who does not lie firmly in either of the camps. So she was able to find somebody who's sort of as neutrally placed and lacking in strong emotional ties as there was in that room. She doesn't put herself in a situation where she's going to get sucked strongly into one camp and alienate people. Having said that, it's still a risky move because she doesn't know anything about this dude. Right. All we can tell about Sabariel so far is that he likes to annoy people and he seems to be just anti everything everyone else is doing. He was a hipster before it was cool. I mean, that's kind of my vibe. So we need to talk, too, about Dalinar's sort of speech at the end of the meeting. Yeah, that's my last note, actually. But my note is simply that I'm not quite sure that I get the strategy here. I'm not quite sure I understand why he's like, he's like, bring all the high princes to me. I'm going to tell them what I'm going to do. Bring them all to me. I'm going to insult them and tell them that I in, that I intend to take all their shard blades and that I'm going to go and attack the Parshendi. With, but he does not, as the minister of war or whatever his, his title is, he does not order them to attack in a concerted effort. So I just, I don't know, by the way, that that would be effective, but he certainly could try and he would have... He would have authority and grounds historically to be able to get at least a large number of people to comply with him, but he doesn't seem to take that path. So I just don't quite know what he's doing here. Well, the meeting was called so that the high princes could discuss the attack of the assassin in white, which had just happened. Which I understand. So that was the the Mm -hmm. purpose of the meeting. I think that Dalinar's thing at the end was just kind of tacked on. Which makes it even more of a mystery to me. But I, I think he starts off by talking about the, the meeting with the listeners. And I think he has real hope that there's going to be a peace treaty. So I think at this point, he's thinking that's what's going to happen. And he's just kind of say, telling the high princes, hey, this war is ending. We're not doing things the way we have been anymore. So get used to that. So either we're going to make peace or I'm going to march out there and end this once and for all. Oh, and yeah, I'm also going to need some new shard bearers because my son is going to take all of your shards. Yeah, I, I just I don't get why he felt the need to do that. He's got we'll his just reasons have to see how it plays out, I guess. I guess we will. I guess we'll have to see. I also really enjoyed kind of at the end of this chapter, the little moment where Shalon brings the writ of pardon to Gaz and Vatha. And they're like, holy shit, you, you did, did it. it. Yeah, I enjoyed that too. Well, it was also, I mean, it was good to see her come through on her, right. on her promises. So yeah, I enjoyed that as well. So um, before we head into interactions and predictions... I want to go through the Snapters a little bit. Aye. So the Snapters in this section have been quotes from The Words of Radiance, which is the book that Yasna gave to Shalon mm. in order for her to learn more about the different orders of the Knights Radiant. But that sunk to the bottom of the ocean. So in Chapter 35... The Snapter is kind of describing the Nahel bond a little bit. That is, you know, it's a bond between the Spren and the Knight. Chapter 36, we learn about the Releasers. This was an order that claimed to be misjudged because of the dreadful nature of their power and that they were known kind of informally as the Dustbringers, which they didn't like being called. Because it sounds like Voidbringers. Bring in the dust. In chapter 37, we learn that each order of Knights Radiant had a herald as its patron and that they matched the temperament and nature of their patron herald. And that um, Talm's order were called the Stone Wards. 
and they tried to exemplify resolve, strength, and dependability, but that they ended up being stubborn. So I think that for each like virtue that they embraced, they had kind of a, a downside to it. Chapter 38's Snapter was a little confusing. It says the discovery of some wicked thing of eminence. It talks about um, it being either some rogueries among the radiance adherents or of some external origin and that Avena would not say which one it was. Anyway, chew on all that. It's it's a chewy, chewy mess. It is. More and more layers. I, I ain't got nothing to say. Well, let's talk about some listener interactions, and then we can hear Chad's predictions. Let's do it. So we put out there our normal, hey, we're going to be recording. Get your questions in, and we will answer them. We put that out there. And Eric Allgaier said, which portmanteau do you prefer for the budding Stormlight Romance? Shaladolin or Shadolin? I mean, it's obviously Shadolin. Or Shadolin. It's Shadolin. For sure. I mean, what else could it be, really? Jen Nagel says, can we talk about how wonderful Pattern is? Pattern's pretty awesome. Pattern's pretty groovy. He just keeps getting better. He does, yeah. And then she also says, I've read this book in Oathbringer once before, and I'm noticing in these chapters that Shallan's skills with the surge of transformation isn't just soul casting. It isn't just changing one substance to another, as evidenced by the stupid stick. Perhaps the origin of the term itself refers to the ability to change actual souls. Gaz opened up to Shallan's influence almost immediately, and even Vatha is beginning to change. I think that is a very astute observation, and it's one of the things that I like about Shallan's character in particular, and Brandon Sanderson's magic system in this world in particular. And we've talked a little bit about how, you know, the growth of these magic users is tied to their personal growth, their personal self-awareness, and I just think that's so interesting. And yes, I think that that Shallan being able to change objects involves convincing the spren or what they call the soul of the object to change. And that, so it's not even that much of a stretch that she's doing this for humans as well. Very interesting. Brandon Sanderson has an excellent short story called The Emperor's Soul, where it's a similar but not quite the same type of magical powers. I highly recommend that short story. It's one of my favorites. Cool. But yeah, it's just, it's really neat. I'm just, I'll geek out on this subject for a while if you let me. She also says, I really enjoyed the Shallan versus Kaladin confrontation. Your thoughts? I mean, obviously I enjoyed it as well. You wrote like 12 Yo Mama jokes inspired <laughs> by it. I'd say. I, I had fun. It was the highlight of the week as far as I'm that concerned. That was awesome. So, so I enjoyed it quite a bit. She also says, Vatha, super tall, Gaz, super short. Is it too early to start fantasy casting? Um, she also, um, Ian Trezise gets on there and talks about Gaz being Mark Shepard. And I'm like, yes, please. But we'll do fantasy casting later. Later. Kelly Walsh says, of all the towns in the three books you've read, the three series, which would you live in if you had to choose? I mean, definitely none of the places in The Gentleman Bastards, because that just pretty much all sounds awful. I wouldn't want to live in Roshar either. I mean, to me, it kind of comes down to Imre or the uh, or the city up there in the, with Mayor Alaron. Yeah, I mean, I think Imre is where it's at, honestly. Right? Yeah, yeah. College town, good music. It's got to be Imre. It's got to be. Interesting people. Very few people trying to stab you in alleys. I mean, it happens, but... <laughs> yeah, that, that's got to be it for me. Hoffman Art Gallery says, Now that we're at a similar number of pages in all three series, how would you rank the books or the series so far? What about you? Um, I would have to go, if I had to, if you're twisting my arm, right? Oh, well, I am. I would have to say 
King Killer, then Stormlight, then Gentleman Bastards. Well, King Killer is obviously number one of the series we've read in my mind. I, I'm I don't know how I would I don't know how I would rank Stormlight versus Gentleman Bastards. Gentleman Bastards was not the best series for this podcast, I don't feel, but I really enjoyed the books. Yeah, it is a very enjoyable series. So I'm I'm unsure at this point. It's interesting because on a first read through, I would have said I would have put Stormlight at, at number three easily. However, this is a series that I enjoy more every time I read it because I pick up things like, oh, hey, Zahel is not just Zahel. And I didn't get that until my second read through, you know, mm-hmm. and just every time you uncover something like that, it's it's just really neat. And then you pick up the way that facts are kind of subtly hinted at and layered and just the massive web that has to be like going on in this author's head to be able to keep track of everything. And I'm sure he has continuity editors and all that, but it's just it's it's pretty cool. Susan King says, if you had a spren, what type would it be and why? Who would you nah hell bond with? Nah hell bond. What the hell? Nah hell no. Is there a quiet spren? <laughs> Not around me, there isn't. <laughs> what about you? creation spread oh yeah okay i could see that without a doubt i i like the logic spread or if they have an if they had an organization spread tidy spread if they had a tidy spread i don't even feel the need to answer why i feel like (laughs) i feel like it's clear (laughs) brian mcclure says what are your thoughts on the zahel interlude Brian McClure really wanted you to get it too. <laughs> well, we'll see whether or not whether or not I got it. We'll see whether or not I got it. He also says favorite quote for this section. Kind of already gave mine. Do you have one? Uh, yeah, give me one. Yeah, my favorite quote for this section. Yo mama so ugly, even after she died, they had to keep her soul in a metal box <laughs> to avoid scaring the palace ghosts. You didn't say it had to be from the book. <laughs> that was that was a good one. That was a good one. That's my favorite quote. Brian McClure also says, the epigraphs at the beginning of these chapters introduced us to several new orders of the Knights of Radiance. What do you think of them? Do you see any characters already introduced into the story joining any of these orders in the future? I can see the orders being created. By the time we get to the fifth book, I, I don't have enough understanding of it to right to be able to say, "Oh yeah, Shalon's clearly a dustbringer," or, right, or you know, or what have you. But no. Mm-mm. Well, we know that Shalon is a light weaver. We already know her order. There you go. Yep. And Kaladin is a mope weaver. He might be. <laughs> Brian also says, "What do you think about Shalon's decision?" Not to stay with Dalinar. So we kind of addressed it in the chapter, but I think it was a good decision. I think she chose the right person to get herself involved with, at least at a surface level. He also says, who has the better spren, Shallan or Kaladin? Definitely Shallan. Oh, it's not even close. Not even close. I mean, I like Syl, don't get right. me wrong. But from a, if you had to choose a spren... You're choosing pattern every day. Absolutely. Twice on Tuesday. <laughs> we also got a uh, an email from Victor Bergren. Thank you, Victor, for emailing. Hey, Victor. And I'm not going to read the whole email because it's a long email, but we definitely appreciate it, Victor. We appreciate the feedback uh, and gave us some uh, some appreciation, and we, we're glad that you're enjoying the podcast. He had a couple of questions First, and I think this is a good thing for us to address, to address, he says he had heard that it was important for him to read Warbreaker before Words of Radiance, and he wanted to ask you, 
Should he stop reading Words of Radiance now and go read Word Bra- uh, Warbreaker? I mean, it depends on... It depends on how quickly you read. I, I don't know if it would be tough to stop in the middle of Words of Radiance if it and and then try to pick it back up and not remember things. So I think you would... I would recommend at least reading Warbreaker after Words of Radiance before you get into Oathbringer. That's what I would say. Unless you're, you're a very fast if reader. If you're a very fast reader or you're you're accustomed to and enjoy reading two books at once, I'd say go ahead and dive into Warbreaker. It's a it's a lighter read for sure. Would you agree? It's a bit faster, Warbreaker. Yeah, yeah, agreed. So, so if you're if you're into that. I would say go ahead and read that at the same time, but I wouldn't like stop cold in the middle of Words of Radiance and try to read it. I would read it after Words of Radiance as well. Gotcha. All right. Victor also had one other question. He says, I'm from Sweden. Oh, no. What's the deal with all the Sweden references? (laughs) That's been going on so long, I don't even know if I remember. So it's really just an inside joke. In high school, one of my close friends was a an exchange student from Sweden. Oh, right. And we ended up keeping in touch over the years. And we just used to always razz him about being from Sweden. But we would never tell him what was wrong. There's nothing wrong with Sweden. There's nothing wrong with Swedish people. That was the joke. Was <laughs> that we were like, and Swedish people, and he'd be like, "Well, what does that mean?" But that was not, was never anything behind it. So it just kind of became an inside joke for me, and I just brought it on the podcast. Plus, you know, I think that's funny. <laughs> 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 I think it's funny to randomly crack jokes about chiropractors and then never explain it, <laughs> you know, or to insult the entire state of Missouri. It's a shady state, right? It's there. shady. I'm just saying, if you can make it through the entire state without stopping for gas, you should. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> to me, what's funny about those kind of jokes are the people who are going, what? what? Why? Because <laughs> there's, there's no obvious reason why anything would be wrong with that. So, so that's the joke. It's really nothing more than that. But we thank you, Victor, for hanging out with us. And uh, we're very glad that you are listening. I, I want to hear the predictions. I got a couple predictions. I got them. I got them. So my first prediction is the meeting between the listeners and the Alethi will be sabotaged by Sadius. Okay. Second is, I think Dalinar is going to try to trick Sadius in some way. Turnabout from the last book. Don't know what it's going to be exactly. I also think Dalinar is going to try to give that shard blade from town to Kaladin. Okay. I think that shard blade is not a shard blade. It's an honor blade. Okay. I think Navani is going to be the one who figures out who town is and also how to understand him and what he's saying. Okay. And Zahel is Vasher. You're so smart. I mean, you you hammered it in pretty good. <laughs> I tried not to. No, I mean, you really didn't. You just if you if you sp- if you lay out all the Correct. stuff about him, all the descriptions that happen time a- after time, yeah. then it's like, oh, okay. And additionally, you did know, like, I was like, oh, hey, you have to read Warbreaker, you know? Yeah, yeah. Before no. you get to this. You should read Warbreaker. So probably that was brewing in the back of your mind too. But yeah, I'd, still, I think it's pretty cool that you jumped there. Yeah, I didn't. I was not expecting that. That was not. If there was anybody I thought was going to be a, tra- a crossover character, I probably should have thought of him. But I just wasn't thinking of him, and I would not have caught it. But as you said, when you when you kind of just isolate those descriptions and pull them out of everything, then it's it's fairly clear. It's not that you really hammered anything down. Mm-hmm. It's just that when you isolate those things and, and lay them out on the table, mm-hmm. 
becomes fairly clear clear who he is. Mm-hmm. So for those of you who have not read Warbreaker, you don't know who Vasher is, listen to our Warbreaker episodes, which will be coming out soon. Right, do you have anything else? No, I don't. All right, you can find us on the Duke and Duchess Podcast.com. That's our website. You can find us on Twitter at the DND Podcast. On Facebook, we are at the Duke and Duchess. And also our group page is Facebook.com backslash groups backslash the DND group. Come join us and Jen Nagel over on Reddit at the Duke and Duchess Podcast. Actually, it's R backslash the Duke and Duchess. And hang out with us on Goodreads as well as Instagram. You can find us on all the social media sites. If you enjoyed what you heard here, you can give us a rating and a review on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play or any of those pod catcher type applications. We always enjoy it. Uh, you can rate us or, or favorite us or share us from Spotify. All that stuff is good. But more than anything, just hang out with us and talk with us. We enjoy it. Tell your friends, tell your family, your coworkers. Get a billboard, spray painted on a guardrail on 95. Skywriting is acceptable. Morse code. Get 300 of your friends on a large hillside and spell out our website address in human bodies. You know. Any of those things, really. You know, little, little things. Little things. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.